Chapter Twenty Three of Virgin Soil, Volume Two, by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Dawn was already beginning in the sky on the night after Golushkin's dinner when Solomon, after about four miles of brisk walking, knocked at the gate in the high fence surrounding the factory. The watchman let him in at once, and followed by three sheep-dogs vigorously wagging their shaggy tails, he led him with respectful solicitude to his little lodge. He was obviously delighted at his chief's successful return home. "'How is it you're here tonight, Vasily Fedotich? We didn't expect you till tomorrow.' "'Oh, it's all right, Gavrila. It's nice walking at night.' Excellent, though rather exceptional, relations existed between Solomon and his work-people. They respected him as a superior and behaved with him as an equal, as one of themselves. Only in their eyes he was a wonderful scholar. What Vasily Fedotich says, they used to repeat, is always right. For there's no sort of study he hasn't been through, and there isn't an Anglisher he's not a match for. Some distinguished English manufacturer had once, as a fact, visited the factory. And either because Solomon spoke English to him, or that he really was impressed by his knowledge of his business, he kept clapping him on the shoulder and laughing and inviting him to come to Liverpool to see him. And he declared to the workpeople in his broken Russian, Oh, she's very good man, yours here. Oh, very good. At which the workpeople in their turn laughed heartily, but with some pride, feeling, So our man's all that, one of us. And he really was one of them and theirs. Early the next morning Solomon's favourite, Pavel, came into his room, waked him, poured him water to wash with, told him some piece of news, and asked him some question. Then they had some tea together hurriedly, and Solomon, pulling on his greasy, grey working pea-jacket, went into the factory, and his life began to turn round again, like a huge flywheel. But a fresh break was in store for it. Five days after Solomon's return to his work, a handsome little phaeton, with four splendid horses harnessed abreast, drove into the factory yard, and a groom in pale pea-green livery was conducted by Pavel to the lodge, and solemnly handed Solomon a letter, sealed with an armorial crest, from His Excellency Boris Andreevich Sipiagin. In this letter, which was redolent, not of scent, oh no, but of a sort of peculiarly distinguished and disgusting English odour, and was written in the third person, not by a secretary, but by His Excellency himself, the enlightened owner of the Arjano estate first apologised for addressing a person with whom he was not personally acquainted, but of whom he, Sipiagin, had heard such flattering accounts. Then he ventured to invite Mr. Solomon to his country seat, as his advice might be of the utmost service to him, Sipiagin, in an industrial undertaking of some magnitude. And in the hope of Mr. Solomon's kindly consenting to do so, he, Sipiagin, was sending his carriage for him. In case it should be impossible for Mr. Solomon to get away that day, he, Sipiagin, most earnestly begged Mr. Solomon to appoint him any other day convenient to him, and he, Sipiagin, would gladly place the same carriage at his, Mr. Solomon's, disposal. They followed the usual civilities, and at the end of the letter was a postscript in the first person. I hope you will not refuse to dine with me quite simply, not in evening dress. The words quite simply were underlined. Together with this letter, the pea-green footman, with a certain show of embarrassment, gave Solomon a simple note, simply stuck up without a seal, from Neshtanov, which contained only a few words. Please come, you are greatly needed here and may be of great service. I need hardly say, not to Mr. Sipiagin. On reading Sipiagin's letter, Solomon thought, Quite simply, 
How else should I go? I never had an evening suit in my life. And why the devil should I go trailing out there? It's simple waste of time. But after a glance at Neshtanov's note, he scratched his head and walked to the window, irresolute. What answer are you graciously pleased to send? The pea-green footman questioned sedately. Solomine stood a moment longer at the window, and at last, shaking back his hair and passing his hand over his forehead, he said, I will come. Let me have time to dress. The footman, with well-bred discretion, withdrew, and Solomine sent for Pavel, had some talk with him, ran over once more to the factory, and putting on a black coat with a very long waist, made him by a provincial tailor, and a rather rusty top-hat, which at once gave a wooden expression to his face, he seated himself in the phaeton, then suddenly remembered he had taken no gloves, and called the ubiquitous Pavel, who brought him a pair of white chamois leather gloves, recently washed, every finger of which had stretched at the tip and looked like a finger biscuit. Solomon stuffed the gloves into his pocket, and said they could drive on. Then the footman, with a sudden quite unnecessary swiftness, leapt onto the box, the well-trained coachman gave a shrill whistle, and the horses went off at a trot. While they were gradually carrying Solomon to Sipiagin's estate, that statesman was sitting in his drawing-room with a half-cut political pamphlet on his knee, talking about him to his wife. He confided to her that he had really written to him with the object of trying whether he couldn't entice him away from the merchant's factory to his own, as it was in a very bad way indeed, and radical reforms were needed. The idea that Solomon would refuse to come, or even fix another day, Sipiagin could not entertain for an instant, though he had himself offered Solomon a choice of days in his letter. "'But ours are paper mills, not cotton spinning, you know,' observed Valentina Mialovna. "'It's all the same, my love. There's machinery in the one, and machinery in the other, and he's a mechanician. But perhaps he's a specialist, you know.' "'My love, in the first place there are no specialists in Russia.' And secondly, I repeat, he's a mechanician. Valentina Mialovna smiled. Take care, my dear. You've been unlucky once already with young men. Mind you don't make a second mistake. You mean Neshtanov? But I consider I attained my object anyway. He's an excellent teacher for Kolya. And besides, you know, non bis in idem. Pardon my pedantry, please. That means facts don't repeat themselves. You think not? But I think everything in the world repeats itself, especially what's in the nature of things, and especially with young people. Que voulez-vous dire? asked Sipiagin, flinging the pamphlet on the table with a graceful gesture. Ouvrez les yeux et vous verrez, Madame Sipiagin answered him. Speaking French, of course, to one another, they said vous. Hm, commented Sipiagin. Are you alluding to the student fellow? To Monsieur le student, yes. Hmm. Has he got... He moved his hand about his forehead. Anything afoot here? Eh? Open your eyes. Mariana. Eh? The second A was decidedly more nasal than the first. Open your eyes, I tell you. Sipiagin frowned. Well, we will go into all that later on. Just now I only wanted to say one thing. This fellow will probably be rather uncomfortable. Of course, that's natural enough. He's not used to society. So we shall have to be rather friendly with him, so as not to alarm him. I don't mean that for you. You're a perfect treasure, and you can captivate anyone in no time if you choose to. J'en sais quelque chose, madame. I mention it in regard to other people. For instance, our friend there. 
he pointed to a fashionable grey hat lying on a whatnot the hat belonged to mr kalomietsev who happened to be at arjano early that morning il est très cassant you know he has such an intense contempt for the people a thing of which i deeply disapprove i've noticed in him too for some time past a certain irritability and quarrelsomeness in his little affair in that quarter sipyagin nodded his head in some undefined direction but his wife understood him not getting on well eh open your eyes i tell you again sipyagin got up eh this eh was of an utterly different character and in a different tone much lower you don't say so i may open them too wide they'd better be careful that's for you to say but as to your new young man if he only comes today you needn't worry yourself every precaution shall be taken and after all it turned out that no precaution was at all needed solomine was not in the least uncomfortable or alarmed when the servant announced his arrival sipyagin at once got up called out loudly so that it could be heard in the hall ask him up of course ask him up went to the drawing-room door and stood right in front of it solomine was scarcely through the doorway when sipyagin whom he almost knocked up against held out both hands to him and smiling affably and nodding his head said cordially this is indeed good on your part how grateful i am and led him up to valentina mihalovna this is my good wife he said softly pressing his hand against solomine's back and as it were impelling him towards valentina mihalovna here my dear is our leading mechanician and manufacturer vasily Fedosievich Solomin. Madame Sipiagin rose, and with a beautiful upward quiver of her exquisite eyelashes, first smiled to him, simply, as to a friend, then held out her little hand, palm uppermost, her elbow pressed against her waist, and her head bent in the direction of her hand, in the attitude of a suppliant. Solomin let both husband and wife play off their little tricks upon him, shook hands with both, and took a seat at the first invitation to do so sipyagin began to fuss about him wouldn't he take something but solomine replied that he did not want anything wasn't in the least fatigued with the journey and was completely at his disposal you mean i may ask you to visit the factory cried sipyagin as though quite overcome and not daring to believe in such condescension on the part of his guest at once answered solomine ah how good you are shall i order the carriage or perhaps you would prefer to walk why it's not far from here i suppose your factory half a mile not more then why order the carriage ah oh, that's delightful then boy my hat my stick at once and you little missus bestir yourself and have a good dinner ready for us my hat sipyagin was far more perturbed than his visitor repeating once more but where's my hat he the great dignitary bustled out of the room like a frolicsome schoolboy while he was talking to solomine valentina mihalovna was looking stealthily but intently at this new young man he was sitting calmly in his easy chair with his bare hands he had not after all put on the gloves lying on his knees and calmly though with curiosity looking about at the furniture and the pictures how is it she thought he is a plebeian an unmistakable plebeian but how naturally he behaves solomine did certainly behave very naturally and not as some do who are simple indeed but with a sort of intensity as though to say look at me understand what sort of a man i am but like a man whose feelings and ideas are strong without being complex madame sipyagin wanted to enter into conversation with him but to her amazement could not at once find anything suitable to say good heavens she thought can i be impressed by this workman 
boris andreich ought to be very grateful to you she said at last for consenting to devote part of your valuable time to him it's not so valuable as all that madam answered solomine and i'm not come to you for very long voilà où l'ours a montré sa patte she thought in french but at that instant her husband appeared in the open doorway with his hat on and his stick in his hand turning half round he cried with a free and easy air vasily fedosievich ready to start solomine got up bowed to valentina mialovna and walked out behind sipyagin follow me this way this way vasily fedosievich sipyagin called just as though he were going through a forest and solomine needed a guide this way there are steps here vasily fedosievich when you are pleased to call me by my father's name solomine observed deliberately i'm not fedosievich but fedotich sipyagin looked back at him over his shoulder almost in a fright ah i beg your pardon indeed vasily fedotich not at all no occasion they went into the courtyard they happened to meet kalomietsev where are you off to he inquired looking askance at solomine to the factory c'est là l'individu en question sipyagin opened his eyes wide and slightly shook his head by way of warning yes to the factory to show my sins and transgressions to this gentleman the mechanician let me introduce you mr kalomietsev our neighbor here mr solomine kalomietsev nodded his head twice hardly perceptibly not at all in solomine's direction without looking at him but he looked at kalomietsev and there was a gleam of something in his half-closed eyes may i join you asked kalomietsev you know i like instruction of course you may they went out of the courtyard into the road and had not gone twenty steps when they saw the parish priest in a cassock hitched up into the belt making his way home to the so-called pope's quarter kalomietsev promptly left his two companions and with long resolute strides approached the priest who was not at all expecting this and was rather disconcerted asked his blessing deposited a sounding kiss on his moist red hand and turning to solomine flung him a challenging glance he obviously knew a fact or two about him and wanted to show off and to display his contempt for this learned rascal c'est une manifestation mon cher sipyagin muttered through his teeth kalomietsev gave a snort oui mon cher une manifestation nécessaire par le temps qui court they went into the factory they were met by a little russian with an immense beard and false teeth who had succeeded the former superintendent the german when sipyagin finally dismissed him this little russian was a temporary substitute he obviously knew nothing of the business and could do nothing but sigh and incessantly repeat maybe and just so the inspection of the establishment began some of the factory hands knew solomine by sight and bowed to him and to one of them he even said hello grigory you here he soon saw that the business was badly managed money had been laid out profusely but injudiciously the machines turned out to be of poor quality many were unnecessary and useless many that were needed were lacking sipyagin kept constantly looking at solomine's face to guess his opinion put some timid questions wished to know if he were pleased at any rate with the system the system's all right answered solomine but can it give any return i doubt it not sipyagin only but even kalomietsev felt that solomine was as it were at home in the factory that everything in it was thoroughly familiar to him and understood to the smallest detail that here he was the master he laid his hand on a machine as a driver lays his hand on a horse's neck he poked his fingers into a wheel and it stopped moving or began going round 
he scooped up in his hand out of the vat a little of the pulp of which the paper was made and at once it revealed all its defects solomine said little and did not even look at the little russian at all in silence too he walked out of the factory sipiagin and kalomietsev followed him sipiagin did not tell anyone to accompany him he positively stamped and gnashed his teeth he was very much disturbed i see by your face he said addressing solomine that you're not pleased with my factory and i know myself that it's in an unsatisfactory state and unprofitable however please don't scruple to speak out what are really its most important shortcomings and what is to be done to improve it paper making's not in my line answered solomine but one thing i can tell you industrial undertakings aren't the thing for gentlemen you regard such pursuits as degrading for gentlemen interposed kalomietsev solomin smiled his broad smile oh no what an idea what is there degrading about it and even if there were the gentry aren't squeamish as to that you know eh what's that i only meant solomin resumed tranquilly that gentlemen aren't used to that sort of business commercial foresight is needed for that everything has to be put on a different footing you need training for it the gentry don't understand that we see them right and left founding cloth factories wool factories and all sorts but in the long run all these factories fall into the hands of merchants it's a pity for the merchants just as much of a bloodsucker but there's no help for it to listen to you cried kalomietsev one would suppose financial questions were beyond our nobility oh quite the contrary the gentry are first-rate hands at that for getting concessions for railroads founding banks begging some tax exemption from themselves or anything of that sort none are a match for the gentry they accumulate great capitals i hinted at that just now when you were pleased to take offence at it but i was thinking of regular industrial enterprises i say regular because founding private taverns and petty truck shops and lending the peasants wheat or money at a hundred and a hundred and fifty per cent as so many of our land-owning gentry are doing now operations like that i can't regard as genuine commercial business kalomietsev made no reply he belonged to just that new species of money-lending landowner whom markelov had referred to in his last talk with nestanov and he was the more inhuman in his extortions that he had never had any personal dealings with the peasants he did not admit them into his perfumed european study but did business with them through an agent as he listened to solomine's deliberate as it were impartial speech he was raging inwardly but he was silent this time and only the working of the muscles of his face betrayed what was passing within him but vasily fedotitch allow me allow me began sipiagin all that you were expressing was a perfectly just criticism in former days when the nobility enjoyed totally different privileges and were altogether in another position but nowadays after all the beneficial reforms in our industrial age why cannot the nobility turn their energies and abilities into such enterprises why should they be unable to understand what is understood by the simple often unlettered merchant they don't suffer from lack of education and one may even claim with confidence that they are in some sense the representatives of enlightenment and progress boris andreevich spoke very well his fluency would have had great effect in petersburg in his department or even in higher quarters but on solomine it produced no impression whatever the gentry cannot manage these things he repeated and why not why kalumietsev almost shouted because they will always remain mere officials officials kalumietsev laughed malignantly you don't quite realize what you are saying i fancy mr solomine solomine still smiled as before 
What makes you fancy that, Mr. Kolomentsev? Kolomentsev positively shuddered at such a mutilation of his surname. No, I always fully realize what I am saying. Then explain what you meant by your last expression. Certainly. In my idea, every official is an outsider, and has always been so, and the gentry have now become outsiders. Kolomentsev laughed still more. I beg your pardon, my dear sir. That I can't make head or tail of. So much the worse for you. Make a great effort. Perhaps you will understand it. Sir! Gentlemen, gentlemen, Sibyagin interposed hurriedly with an air of searching earnestly about him for someone. If you please, if you please. Kalomietsev, je vous prie de vous calmer. And dinner will be ready soon, to be sure. Pray, gentlemen, follow me. Valentina Mialovna whined Kalomietsev, running into her boudoir five minutes later. It's really beyond everything, what your husband is doing. One nihilist installed here among you already, and now he's bringing in another. And this one's the worst. How so? Upon my word, he's advocating the deuce knows what. And besides, observe one thing. He has been talking to your husband for a whole hour, and never once, not once, did he say, Your Excellency. Le Vagabond. End of chapter 23